Yeah, I think it's, you know, just, just relax. We've got loads of time and we're in no rush. Quite nice doing it at night. Generally, nobody has meeting to go to after this. Well, no. I'm still at my workplace, so... <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Offersin, a South African recruitment startup for developers. Offersin inverts the normal recruitment process. Instead of applying for jobs... 350 tech companies in Cape Town, Johannesburg, and Pretoria send developers interview requests with upfront salary info. For developers, it's completely free to sign up and use. In fact, you get 5,000 rand if you take a job through them. Visit offerzen.com to sign up. That's O-F-F-E-R-Z-E-N.com. Hi, and welcome to episode 59 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. Tonight on the panel, I'm joined by Len. Good evening, everybody. And our guest is Quentin Harley. Hello, Quentin. Hi, guys. So before we get into the meat of the topic, which is 3D printing, Quentin, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to the audience and uh, tell us a bit about who you are, where you came from? Okay, well, uh, as you heard, I'm Quentin Harley. I am a bit of a crazy inventor, and I'm based here at House for Hack. Um, I'm also the um, CEO, if you want to call it that, of a small company called Rep, uh, uh, Morgan 3D Printers. And we basically build 3D printers for a living at the moment. And uh, my background is uh, I've spent uh, the last 15 years working as a clinical engineer uh, with uh, medical, uh, medical imaging equipment. And that basically built a foundation of, um, of, of the robotics that I use to, to build these robotic 3D printers. Now, I was curious how you got from clinical engineering to, to making 3D printers, but that seems to me to make a lot of sense with the imaging systems. Uh, how does that work? Just like as a, a little bit of a background, those big machines, the kind of technology that's involved. I mean, as much as you can say without... The, the disclosing corporate secrets. Are you talking about the medical imaging machines? Yeah. Well, the medical imaging machines are basically just big robots with uh, with uh, image detectors and X-ray tubes on it, and uh, you basically put your lives in those <laughs> big machines, and they take images of you. So uh, there's there's many different types, and I and I worked on many of them. Uh, my specialities were anything with water, anything with wheels, and anything that caused lots of pain so <laughs> take your pick <laughs> what do you mean like the machine caused pain yeah I, I worked on lithotriptus as well which is a therapy machine that breaks kidney stones in your body and uh you know and and urology and uh, you can you can just imagine where all of that goes just how do you test something like that well, we, we don't really test them for the amount of pain that they make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm trying to imagine the unit tests for that machine. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's like any, any high-end machine. You need, um, you need to calibrate them for optimal um, operation. So there's many things. It's dose rates, um, image quality, line pairs, focus, uh, movements, 
um, there's there's a whole range of things, and and that's actually just uh, the same that I'm doing now with with my machines to make sure that they're optimal. Uh, it's it's a good good way to to run or, or to design a machine is to make sure that everything runs properly. And I guess it's easier with 3D printing to get willing subjects for testing than a medical machine. Well, in medical machines, you have all these really, really nice equipment that you get to, to test the machines with. With 3D printing, you just need to get some people willing to play. So what made you take that jump from medical imagery to, to 3D printing? Well, in a sense, um, I, I got very comfortable. So uh, you, you get comfortable in, in a way that you... You walk into your room and you know exactly what's going on. You know exactly what you're going to do. Um, and and even though it, it made you feel like a really like a, um, a te technical rock star every time you walk out and everything says, oh, wow, the machine is fixed. But after a while, it's not a challenge anymore. And uh, I still needed that challenge. And 3D printing specifically, did you look at anything else? Or was that just like a natural thing for you? Well, I, I've always worked on projects, uh, even even while I was still at Siemens. I um, built my own microphones for uh, uh, for a recording of music, and I built uh, uh, sound mixers, and uh, I worked on a, um, a turbine for power generation, all kinds of small things. So I've always been busy with projects, and I actually built a 3D printer or designed the 3D printer to help me with the project that I needed the 3D printer for. And then, of course, 3D printing took over. In those early days, what did the landscape for 3D printing look like? Well, it, it looked barren. Um, there was nothing available. Uh, I basically, I looked for kits. I couldn't even get anyone to supply me with a kit. Uh, um, I couldn't even get anyone to supply me with a kit. So I had to I had to start looking at at, at my own alternatives, basically um, building my own stuff. Of course, when I was busy designing the machine, I didn't even have the parts for it yet. I found Hack and I and I noticed that they had a three D printing build course here, and they were building those tiny little printer bot kits, and uh, that's basically where I I climbed into Hack in order to print the parts for my printer so that I can start making it oh so what's that it's that's like a kit that you print to print a 3d printer <laughs> well basically um the machine i designed was a rep wrap uh, rep wrap stands for replicating rapid prototyper and that is exactly what what the morgan started off as it's basically a machine that can print all the parts or well, all the plastic part, uh, plastic parts for itself so that you basically can build another machine. Now, I must say, it's quite nice. I remember in your workspace seeing the different generations of them stacked there on the one bench. And it's it's quite an inception thing, seeing all of them in line. Yeah, it's quite nice. I actually still need to build a proper uh, display cabinet for it. It's, it's all stacked in my storeroom at the moment. But it is very nice, especially now that we've um, we've gone to the actually the third generation of the Morgan, where um, everything is now professional and and looking 
looking really sleek and easy to calibrate and easy to work with if you compare it to that original one where everything basically was <laughs> still hacked together in my garage it's a very nice uh, nice progression it's it's a good feeling to to look at those things so what, what was the journey like i mean how did uh... How did it progress and, you know, what were the, the sort of ups and downs of, of building that machine? Building the initial machine was actually, um, uh, it was, <laughs> I had lots of failures, of course, um, but that's, that's the way it goes with, with development. So, um, and then when I finally got the idea for this machine, I had lots of kind of resistance or negative feedback from the field. Um, basically, I was told that building a machine like this successfully all by myself without a vast engineering degree would be completely impossible. And of course, that's the last thing you say to any kind of hacker or designer or inventor. Is yeah, that, that, that's motivation, right? <laughs> exactly. So two weeks later, the machine was working properly. <laughs> good one, good one. So what, what kind of uh, problems did you face in the beginning? Well, initially, uh, stability. Uh, 3D printers needs to be stable. And um, I built my machine to be as light as and as cheap as possible. So I used these PVC pipes to, to, to keep everything together. And of course, uh, PVC is cheap, but it's not stable. So I had to find some kind of way to make it stable. And, and that's where the crisscross frame of the Morgan uh, came, uh, came to be. Because I basically had to stress these uh, these um, PVC pipes through uh, basically past each other in order to make the whole thing stable. And uh, that is still with us in, in the current aluminium frame. The aluminium frame is also stress-loaded, uh, stress so you get a very, very light frame that is very, very stable. Okay, so you built it kind of pre-stressed so that it, it kind of clings to the shape that it has? Yes, you, you, uh, basically, if you, if you take one half of the pipes off, the whole plat top platform would spin to the one side. So the whole thing is under uh, quite a amount of stress. Um, but that's basically um, like anything under stress, like your car windscreen. It keeps, it keeps the shape stable, even under um, adverse conditions. Yeah, that's super interesting. Where did the inspiration for that crisscross effect of the, of the arm came from? Did it something you saw somewhere else or figured it out by yourself? Well, I, um, I basically, <laughs> I dreamt it up one night. I, I don't know exactly. And the whole thing with the, with the robotic arm as well. Um, I had a chat with my daddy. He's an electronic engineer and he also worked on lots of projects. And maybe that's where I got the whole uh, crazy inventor thing from. And uh, he, I, I don't know what we talked about, but he said something about I need to find a way to take up the slack. And uh, that night I had a, a dream about stuff bending around each other, and the next morning I tried it. Uh, it's, um, it's strange how that works. Oh, that's great. I think I'll add some pictures for the show notes because trying to, to talk this through is, might be a bit tricky. But, I mean, the Morgan's design is radically different from other 3D printers. I mean, the most of the ones I've seen is the either the bed moves around under a, a fixed nozzle, or the nozzle is like on a 
two tracks. So it's it's got this very. It almost looks like a jerky movement as it moves across a, like a, a X and a Y axis for up and down the board and Y axis for the depth as it prints. But the Morgan, the arms fixed at the top, doing its thing, and and the base slowly pulls away to the bottom as it prints. It's something completely different. Yeah, the, the main inspiration for the arms, it, it was mainly cost. I wanted to make something that is um, those linear bearings that you get on machines uh, or on those uh, uh, XYZ plotting type machines used to be very, very expensive when I started out. So I tried to build a machine using only 608 bearings. And of course, I didn't want the rickety frame of the of the Mendel set that went before the Morgans. And uh, basically what they did is they took um, uh, straight rods or, or round bars and they made 608 bearings run on it. And that wasn't quite the, the effect I looked at. So um, uh, what I did is I, I, I designed the machine to, to use only 608 bearings. And the only way I could do that was to make an arm that had swivel, basically elbows that swiveled. I initially planned it with only uh, basically a, an arm with an elbow and a motor on top of that. But of course, we wanted to keep the weight of the arms. So I uh, came up with a double axle system with the motors at the bottom. And then I could keep all the weight off, but still have a low cost machine. And that is basically where the arms came from. Now I'm, I'm completely blown away with, <laughs> with this, even just your thought process. You make it sound so natural. And you know, to me seeing these machines and always seeing the setup time, it seems like a nightmare. That's actually one of the questions I want to ask is, when let's say I unbox my Morgan tomorrow, how long before I print my first model with it? Well, uh, most of the time you could start straight away. You, um, uh, the only thing you might need to check is your initial layer height, but there's a small test print that you need to do that takes about five minutes, and after that, you should be set to go. Oh, that's fantastic. So, I, I asked because. Over the years, I've always heard these stories of people buying a 3D printer and then they go either to a makerspace or a 3D printer meetup over and over again for weeks on end, just calibrating and assembling and getting it all right until they can finally print like a hello world. And it sounded so tedious. Well, especially when you build a kit, um, the, the problem with, with kits is not that it's not easy to print it's because there's a lot of setup that needs to happen and a lot of calibration that needs to happen and uh, my machine is not different but we do a lot of shortcuts for you when you when you buy the machine the initial setup is already done everything is built optimally so that when you do the calibration there's almost no adjustment needed and uh, when you get a machine like that, you, you don't really have to do a lot of the tedious stuff and you can jump right into the fun stuff, which is actually printing. Ah, oh. and what kind of uh, filament can you print with using the Morgan? And maybe just explain to people what the different kinds of filaments are and, and what filament itself is, and maybe how that part of the printer actually works. Yeah, that, that would be very useful for me because I've done this before. Okay, Doug. Well, uh, 3D printing filament is basically a thin mono uh, mono filament of uh, extruded plastic. They basically make it by taking uh, the pellets, uh, the raw material of the plastic, put it in a large extruder, and then pushing it out a small hole while pulling. 
So they make it the same way they make these uh, um, weed whacker um, thread that they used to cut the grass with, uh, except that they now use ABS or PLA or BEGI or whichever filament that you use. So the filament that we use on the Morgan is a 1.75 millimeter um, diameter. And uh, um, it's typically um, found in one kilogram or five kilogram rolls. And it is fed into the machine, basically pushed by a pusher gear and then um, melted by a hot end and then put down layer by layer in, in thin layers. Um, different materials that we can print with at the moment. Initially, uh, uh, everyone printed with ABS. But ABS, um, though it, it's a very nice, strong and uh, um, shock-resistant material, it is, uh, it's not the nicest material to print with in your home or in your office because of the bad smell and the, the toxic fumes that it, that it gives off. So you need a good extraction system. So we decided not to, to include ABS in our lineup. Uh, we have a different material that is, uh, uh, has the same mechanical properties, but uh, without the toxicity and, and the shrinkage. It's called PET-G. So it is uh, PT, the same as your Coke bottles, but with a glycol binding that makes it a bit more pliable. So it works just like ABS. We, um, our go-to material, though, is called PLA. It is an uh, organic plastic material. It is made by um, basically making a sour mash of a cornstarch material or something like that. And then they make a polyester of, this, of, the, of the lactic acid that they uh, cultivate. So it's completely organic material. It's, it's a little bit, it can be a little bit brittle, but it is incredibly strong and uh, it is renewable. So uh, that's, uh, and it's very easy to print with because it doesn't shrink so much. So you don't need a heated bed and you also don't need to worry too much uh, about um, uh, uh, interlayer delamination. Uh, that's basically a process where um, your layers will pull away from each other because the layers that's, that are printing on the top shrinks uh, in relation to the layers at the bottom. And that is something that um, is really tough to overcome, especially with larger models. We also print with a flexible material um, that uh, it's it's not the, the filler flex or the um, ninja flex that is more like a rubbery material. This is a, a kind of a... Um, a little stiffer material because we have a, a Bowden cable system. A Bowden cable is where you push filament through a Teflon tube. So uh, that's another way we keep the, way, the weight away from the head. And then, of course, if the, your material is too soft, it kind of bunches up inside this tube. Um, but it is still nice and rubbery, and it's very, uh, it's very uh, strong in terms of its, um, uh, it, the pulling force. Then we also print with nylon, which is incredibly tough. Of course, you cannot print very large items, but most of the time you print smaller bushes and um, buckles and uh, all kinds of um, fastening materials with the nylon. So there's a vast, um, vast selection of materials, and we try to add more as we figure out how to make them printable on the Morgan. Wow. Excuse, excuse my uh, newbie question. Why can't you print big things with nylon? Nylon is a very, very tough material to print with because it shrinks, shrinks even more than uh, your ABS. So basically what it wants to do is it wants to um, imagine you... Okay, uh, so you so it's to do with the time, right? 
It, it, it has to do with the, with the amount of shrinkage. So yeah. you put your first layer down, and yeah. then when you put your second layer down, it shrinks in relation to the first layer. So it basically pulls it up slightly. It's like taking your hand and bunching up a, a cloth. Right. And then you keep doing that. And all, and all of a sudden, the stresses in the material become so high that it basically pops right off the bed. Uh, and okay. yeah, so yeah. that's that's that makes sense. Yeah. So we can print larger items, but then you need a heated build environment. But with nylon, that heat needs to be quite a bit. So it is um, it is a bit aggressive on on the open type of printers that we build and the and the users in the room. <laughs> Understood. And. To print with these different materials, do you use different print heads, or is it you've got the one that rules them all? We we think we found the head that rules them all. It's basically uh, it is a, a E3DV6 nozzle that we modified slightly to be like almost like the E3DV6 light. So it is a, kind of a best of both worlds. Uh, the Teflon tube goes right down almost to the to the heat block. So that you don't get any, uh, um, especially in South African climate in the summer, uh, the heat kind of creeps up the nozzle and then you get all kinds of uh, sticking effects. So with this new nozzle that we use, uh, we don't have any problems with printing any material. I was going to say the upside of being in like near Pretoria is you get to experience that insane heat more often than we get in Joburg. <laughs> Yeah, my, my printing room has a thermometer in it for a very good reason. It, it has no aircon and it has full sun in the, in the afternoon. So we sometimes clock up to 42 degrees in that room. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, no thank you. <laughs> I want to take a moment to tell you about OfferZen. OfferZen connects you with more than 350 South African companies that are hiring developers. Instead of dealing with recruiters or applying to dozens of jobs individually, on OfferZen, companies apply to you. To get started, just sign up on OfferZen.com and build a profile. Once you're ready, your profile is made visible to the companies hiring on OfferZen. Companies interested in you will send you an interview request with details about the job, including upfront salary info. So if you're looking for work or want to hire developers, check them out at OfferZen.com. That's O-F-F-E-R-Z-E-N.com. So I wanted to ask, uh, um, and maybe Len can help me uh, um, like guide kind of like a new like a question for people that have got um like no idea how the printing actually works so you kind of alluded to it now we've so we've got the different filaments that look like uh weed whacker rolls uh just much bigger kilos or five kilos and, and these get fed into the printer however in the morgan it's like this push system that you explained it gets to the nozzle that heats it and then um the nozzles on the arm and this moves around and it puts down these super thin layers um so i kind of want to ask how thick are those layers and how big um, a model can you print and like kind of how long it takes and a follow-up to that would be as if you want to print something really big like is there like a strategy that you guys have to make like your own lego blocks you know for argument's sake stuff that you need to assemble well, yes, there's, uh, um, your standard nozzle is a 0.4 millimeter nozzle. We've, um, some guys have smaller nozzles, some have bigger nozzles, but we found that the 0.4 nozzle is your, uh, your best go between, between speed and quality, uh, your, your fine resolution. So basically, your nozzle is laying down thin little layers of 0.4 millimeter wide, and 
the height is de determined by how much filament is being pushed out of the nozzle and how, how high the nozzle is above your, your layer below. So a typical medium quality print would be a 0.4 millimeter nozzle with a 0.2 millimeter layer height. Um, we can go down as low as 0.05 millimeter, after which the effect is negligible because the plastic cannot actually sh uh, show any better resolution just because of the nature of the plastic itself. Uh, and then, so the motors driving that are, are accurate and reliable enough at like no point, what did you say, 0.5 mil? Yes, it's, it's not a problem. We use uh, 400 step motors and we use 32-bit micro, uh, 32-second uh, micro stepping. So basically what happens is you have a piece of electronics that drives the motor. Um, it right. has, a, a, it has two poles and, and, um, it has 400 steps around and every step gets divided into 32 smaller steps. So, wow, okay. um, and then we have these large wheels at the bottom that acts as a as a gearbox. So every time the, the motor turns around once, the arm moves a little bit on the belt. So it is, um, we have, uh, because of the nature of the machine, we don't have an XYZ plotter system. We have these um, uh, um, SCARA inverse kinematics that we use in order to place the machine. And in order to make sure that we have the same or better resolution we we built in these crazy um uh, with high gearboxes into the machine in order to make sure that at every point even at the points where it uh, where the robotics um, start to lose resolution it still has higher resolution than your typical xyz plotter and because we use math to position the arms with the angles um, the actual position is very accurate we don't lose, uh, we don't have scaling issues just because of this. I'm just curious, in a 3D printing context, what does resolution actually mean? I mean, we don't have dots per inch or anything else. Has it got to do with the thickness of the layers or like the speed at which the filament comes out or the finishing on it? Right. Um, these, okay, that's, that's a good question. Um, I normally break it down into two things, your quality and your resolution. Your resolution has two aspects to it. The first is your actual layer height, and that's how high the next layer is above the previous layer. And that, that basically gives it a kind of a grainy feel if you look at it from the side. That is visible, and it, um, it can give you some kind of sense of, of the resolution of the item. The second uh, aspect of resolution is how accurately your arm can position itself in the x and y plane so so you you would uh, basically if you have text on the side of your item how well does the machine actually follow into the text and show up the um the, the actual text to you um that is your your xyz plane resolution that resolution is um is is highly um it's closely coupled to your positional accuracy of the arms so you need to have, um, we normally have a higher XYZ resolution than our Z resolution, um, but that's just uh, um, but basically built into the machine. And then the quality is, is, has everything to do with how well the, your first layer and your second layer matches up. So your machine needs to be repeatable. 
accuracy and precision is one thing, but repeatability is something different. And the quality of the part, even if you have low resolution, you can have a high quality part and everything will look smooth from a distance if you have high quality. And that is something that we strive for with a, in 3D printing. Uh, uh, um, all the guys try to get stable machines with high accuracy or, or high precision um, for the for the resolution, but high repeatability for the quality. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm just thinking from what I've seen at like um, flea markets and geek fest and so on. People make like nice little dragons and and whatnot that they 3D print. But sometimes you can almost clearly see the layers on it. And so that means that they just use the lower resolution print to keep the cost down. Exactly, because time is money. Yeah. And that's 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 the only thing that that really costs is your time. Unless your time is worthless and then it's free. <laughs> okay, yeah. And uh is there anything I, I'm, I'm asking a small, I guess it's kind of loaded. I've heard before the 3D printing meetup in, in Joburg, the one guy explained that you can use, I think it's an asset to help smooth the plastic off. Is that like a recommended approach for somebody at home or do you think people will just hurt themselves severely? Um, what you're referring to is, is the acetone, um, acetone smoothing process that yes. works with ABS. Um, it is it is a fairly dangerous process because you're working with acetone vapors, and it's it's fairly aggressive and it's, it's actually a bit carcinogenic. So you, you again you need a good ventilation system or you need to work outside with gloves. Um, people do it; it does look good, but uh, it's also a very nice way to show out the quality of the machine, N not the resolution, the quality. So you can see how the layers didn't match up properly. Um, so you need a good machine to have a really good result. Uh, we don't use ABS at all, so we don't use smoothing processes, which is, um, I think it's safer for, for our clients. But what we do is we use a two-part resin material that does almost the same thing. Instead of melting the, acid, uh, the, the ABS off, you add a layer of resin onto it. It's a two-part resin that you mix. It's called XTC3D. Uh, by a company called Smoothon in America. And, and what this does, it basically has a high surface tension and it sticks itself into all the striations. So it basically does exactly the same thing without the danger of the um, toxic uh, acetone vapors. Okay, well, so working with ABS is a, <laughs> a double danger in the end. Um, oh, that's curious. I, I kind of have a last question. I want to start steering us a bit more into um, the, the software. But, I mean, for, I was quite surprised doing research for the show that the uh, Morgan is open source hardware. Did I read that right? Yes, it is. It's, um, I'm doing the same thing as, um, as the Ultimaker and um, also what, uh, what, what Elon Musk is doing at the moment. Um, I released my previous versions online. So I have a Git, GitHub account, uh, Reprap Morgan, and you will find the previous versions of the machine there. Um, the previous version of the, or, or the initial prototype of the current version of the machine is also online at the moment. So it is a fully open source project. Um, we don't believe that the Python system is helping anyone at the moment. It's completely broken. So you, you really, in order to, 
get advances or to get any progress in terms of technology, everyone has to share. And of course, it's delayed open source, so I I get to keep the best for myself until I release the next version, but at least it is published. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, have you had any, um, I'm thinking like, have you added like a pull request against an old version? Somebody found something and, and just made it a bit better for you? Kind of like what we would expect with software on GitHub? Absolutely. I, I get lots of ideas. Um, Lots of the ideas actually come from the um, from the Hausfag maker, maker community because we are so close knit and we can actually talk to each other. But I actually had a couple of pull requests um, uh, through the Reprap forums and through guys sending me emails and through the um, GitHub system itself. I wanted to ask. So I mean, that sounds kind of crazy putting everything out there, and I, I understand fully now. I respect a lot that you're doing it, and I think it's fantastic. Other people can learn. You've got. So we've got the older releases of the Morgan out, and then there's the, so people can take it and blatantly copy it um, if they want to. I mean, I guess it's hard enforcing licensing. But the, on the other side, we've got this world of Kickstarter with like it. Sometimes it feels like this, like three D printers ideas are getting like are coming out there faster than JavaScript projects are. Like frameworks are coming out. Has that been kind of a, a issue for you, or, or do you get people that compare you against the next $100 printer that's never going to materialize? No, I um, I decided not to to go into the Kickstarter thing, and um, I'm quite vocal about that. Um, the Kickstarter projects, um, it's not really a competition to me because uh, everyone knows what the 3D printer Kickstarters are like. You've got this um, couple of guys, they've got this great idea, they half-built a machine, they get someone that does nice CG images, and then then nothing happens. So um, we're not like that at all. So we have a real product. I developed it myself. I put my own money into it. I'm growing slowly. I'm not trying to jump to the top. And uh, and that's the only way to grow as far as I'm concerned in terms of technology. You have to grow it slowly. And in, anyone that thinks that you can uh, jump the gun and well, some of the guys are lucky. Um, I know the printer bots uh, Kickstarter went, went very, very well, but that is a testament to how well Brook Drum ran his project. And you have to run your project, otherwise there's nothing for you. That's, that's the only thing I can say about Kickstarter. So on that note, is, can I ask how it's going with you? And I mean, are, is it, is, are you being successful? And maybe you can share some of the details. Well, yes, so we, we had, um, we had uh, quite, a, quite, a good, um, quite a good couple of shows. Um, People are really, um, I think in, in South Africa especially, people don't really know that they really want to have a 3D printer. And uh, when they found out that they need one, they don't know where to go. Or And um, I think that's working really well for us at the moment because people are noticing us uh, at the shows and we do have a good product, if I have to say so myself. Um, and and it's a, it's a reliable machine. So and and there's uh, local support as well. So and that has been working very well for us. We've sold quite a couple of machines in the, in the last last month or two. It's it's almost as if people realise that the global recession is um, it's here with us. It's fine. We just have to keep on going and do what we need to do. Well, that's great to hear. Now I've heard one. 
lot of awards and um, you know you've got a lot of industry support for you for what you're doing. Perhaps you could just talk a bit about that. Well, I um, when I initially started building the machine, I also um, browsed. Uh, I, I basically um, read up a lot as as you did on three D printing just uh, just before the interview, <laughs> and I note and I noticed this. Um, this competition that they had is almost like the X Prize, but for 3D printing. And of course, uh, what they want is they wanted the machine that's easy to replicate and cheap to build. And I thought I would give it a bash and enter my little machine. And uh, it turned out that my machine was good enough to win the um, the interim prize for the uh, the Garda Prize, as it as it was called then. It's called the Uplift Prize now. And that actually gave me a bit of cash injection so that I could start up my little business. And I'm really grateful for that. Well, that's excellent news. Man. And then so then, how's the development process gone since then? Have you had to put in a lot or has it been self-sustaining? It's been mostly self-sustaining. I, um, I got some grant money from um, the Gauteng Accelerator project. Um, I, uh, with my connections at Arsfack, I, I entered there to, um, and they basically put me into the ICT grouping, which is strange for a hardware device. And uh, uh, even though it was written uh, basically in the wrong, um, uh, in the wrong competition, I, I got I got a bit of money to to help with uh, development. So um, that's also uh, that's also a good thing. And um, otherwise, it's been mostly self-sustaining. We use sales of machines to plow back into R and D. Um, yeah, there's been so much, uh, so much money went into R and D, but um, it is it is all worth it now if if you look at the end product. Oh, that's excellent to hear, man! Congratulations as well. Thank you. What's the most favorite thing you, for you that somebody else has printed with a Morgan? That that just makes you feel super proud. Sure, there's so many things. It 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 all depends on on the on on the category of it. Um, I actually built a machine for my dad many uh, many years ago, and um, you know that uh, that wind turbine project I talked about. Yes. <laughs> my dad actually finished the thing, so that that was very nice for me. Um, um, ach, and then this. Um, Lots of different. Uh, um, there's uh, a couple of engineers in in Cape Town that bought a machine now, uh, and they are they are building uh, um, inlet and outlet manifolds for inboard engines. It's really impressive prints. Uh, it it all depends on all depends on the category. I think there's so many wonderful things happening. Those prints that they're making for the boats. I mean, do they just use the print verbatim or? like is it a prototype and then they move to a physical manufacturing process uh what they do at the moment as far as i can tell is they use it for for the actual place or, or the or the fitting of of the components they are very very expensive to make and they um they basically use a special uh, casting facility in the uk to make those components to make them um because your standard inlet and outlet manifolds are not really uh um made or is is not really um, uh, suitable for for seawater so it is very expensive to make but um, basically what they do is they design the thing they print it they put it on the engine fit it then they cut away at it uh, keep on designing print another one fit it and when they have the final one they actually send that plastic part away 
to be um, to be cast in a process called lost investment casting. So they basically cover it in some slurry, they bake it in the oven, the plastic disappears, and they cast the aluminium into it. And then they have the, the first prototype. When that is working properly, they go to full manufacturing. Wow, yeah, that's great. And that kind of leads me into, I want to ask what some of the practical applications are for 3D printing. And to my mind, most of it is this kind of prototyping where you can easily churn out something and then hand it off to a very expensive process otherwise. But what's some other stuff that people do with 3D printers in general? Well, if you can think of anything, um, any anywhere where the word custom can be said is a, a prime example of where you can use 3D printing because anything custom is normally very expensive. But with 3D printing, customization or complexity is not expensive at all. Only your time is expensive. And if you print a custom, a, a complicated item or a very simple round item, your time is going to be roughly the same if the amount of extruded plastic is going to be the same. So you, ca- you could manufacture custom items with the same price as, uh, as non-custom items, uh, given that the machine takes a, bit of, a little bit more time than your traditional methods. But with custom, you have that money. And of course, with development and prototyping and art, and uh, there are so many different, you basically have to look at, either look at your job or your hobby. If you cannot use it in your job, you can use it in your hobby. But most of the time you can use them both. Yeah, and I think we should build, uh, or we should print laptop stands. Yes, that that's <laughs> a good idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's done already. Well, we'll, we'll do it better. Like, I've never put off when somebody else has already made something. <laughs> it's a chance to learn from it. Ken, Ken's already been exactly. uh, making some laptop stands out of metal and things. Maybe we can improve on his design. Yeah, that's. I need to reassemble. I took that whole thing apart. Um, it seems binding copper pipes and uh, um, rebar with steel putty doesn't work that well, and especially if you need to take it apart again. <laughs> steel putty is really strong. But it, that's my my fail. <laughs> um and good. I mean, obviously, you've been monitoring the the space of three D printing. I remember seeing someone. I don't know if it was just a um, like just a crappy demo or publicity stunt, but I've seen the video I saw was um, somebody actually building um, like a small building using similar kind of technology. So the same thing that they were just piping this cheap muddy cement. Um, out with like they basically built this big arm uh, to build a structure. And I think it was more meant for like disaster relief operations, so they can get like a hospital up in two or three days or something that resembles a hospital. Um, I don't know if you know if something like that does really exist, or just any like other insane examples of of where this technology can scale up to. Well, there's a lot of research being done in concrete printing at the moment. It, it is. Um... Most of the magic with concrete printing is not in the actual machine, but in the in the consistency of that slurry that you talked about. You basically need a concrete that is thin enough to go through a pipe, but will set very, very quickly so that it basically sits where you drop it. And then when you put another layer over it, it should be hard enough to sustain the next layer. It's definitely in use at the, uh, at the moment. They are, um, they built a whole office block in, in China using a method like that. They have, um, they uh, built rooms in, in Holland, 
um, the the uh, there's uh, company in South Africa also doing research the research on that. So it is definitely coming. It's definitely here, and um, it's gonna make uh, make the builders very afraid indeed. I'm I'm sure. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> and um, well, let's pull it back a bit. I guess to a bit more the fun side. Uh, if I want to make my own, if I want to print a little toy or a laptop stand, like where would I start? What what does the software kind of look like? What skills do I need there? I mean, the Morgan standing right here on the desk next to me. I'm I'm sure there's a, a lot more involved before I hit the print button. Well, the, the easiest way, if you want anything uh, made, is to first well do the, exactly the same thing you would do if you wanted to write a small script to do something for you. So if you if you want to write something, you first look if someone else did it before you. So there, there are many websites uh, like Thingiverse and Imagine and GrabCAD, many many websites where people actually deposit their designs free for use on the internet, and you can just go grab it and print it. That aside, of course, you now have an, uh, a unique idea that you want to pursue. So you want to make something on your 3D printer. So the first thing I would I would say is go find a CAD that, that you like. Um, there are so many different types of CADs. I myself use something called OpenSCAD or OpenSCAD, depending on how you want to say it. And it's basically you code what you want. So you basically say, okay, I want a cylinder here and I want to, I want to subtract another cylinder from it and I want to add a cube to it. And you basically compile it and it gives you your model. But that's just the way I work. Um, I like to program. I also programmed the C, uh, uh, the C++ code for the modules of the robotic arm. That's fun for me. But for other people, they like to draw in something like SketchUp or um, Inventor or SolidWorks or um, Onshape. There are so many different CADs. Uh, some of them are free. Some excellent ones are free. And you can just go and play and see what, what you like and see something that 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 works with your with your workflow and and the way that you think and um, then basically what you need to do is find the CAD play with it try and get some um, some proficiency in it and it normally takes about a week or two and then you you should be up to speed in order to draw what you need and then send it to the printer and then uh, of course the manufacturing of your item is then fairly easy no that sounds easy enough and I saw on the Morgan website that there's a you guys bundle a piece of software called Simplify 3D. Is that also a CAD or what does that software do? Simplify 3D is your um, some people call it the slicer. Now, what this software do ah. is it takes your it takes your three dimensional model, it slices it up in thin slices, and it works out the tool path for the machine. So it's actually the master of the printer. Um, if you want to think in 2D printer analogies, it is actually your your kernel printer driver. It it takes whatever you send to it and turn, turns it into something the printer can understand, and then it then it prints it. Okay, and am I right if I understand it this way that the slicer also helps figure out if you've got hollow parts inside your print to build the supporting structure while the print happens that you can break out later. Yes, there are, there are so many options. Um, they You can have um, attachment options like rafts and brims. It basically helps keep your part on the bed. 
Then you have supports that you can either automatically uh, automatically um, generate or you can manually place the supports. It's got a very nice function. So if you want to use limited support and you know what you're doing and you don't want to clean up so much, you can place only the supports you need. So it's a very, very powerful and flexible software. Um, even though it's not open source, it, um, it took away a lot of support issues for us. Um, open source software is wonderful. I love it myself. I've used it for, for a very long time. But some of my customers are not so open to, to struggle. <laughs> they want to have something that works immediately. And that is exactly what Simplify 3 does for me. Okay. Now let me just maybe to color in the the picture, but the the way I understand the supporting structure, trying to think of an example. Let's say I want to build a bridge that's got like an arch underneath it. It's now as it was obviously start at the bottom, printing just the two feet of the pillars where they would touch the ground. But eventually, that arch needs to start closing down, and at some point, without the supporting struts that the printer makes it would just fall over and collapse on itself as it gets too heavy and uh, am i right in putting it that way uh yes you were <laughs> because we we have something called bridging now where basically those pillars will be built up and if they're close together enough the printer will spin something like uh, it looks like spider webs between the two pillars and it will build your bridge on top of that so <laughs> but uh, most wow. of the time yeah, it's it's incredible. Uh, just uh, if if you look on YouTube, uh, I've got um, uh, there's a really uh, on my YouTube channel. We, we I actually did a bridging test, and I I half expected it not to work, and against all odds, it did. And uh, from then, we, uh, we're actually using bridging a lot in 3D printing. But that aside, if you have something that kind of dips down, so say for instance you're printing a figure with hands that are pointing down. So it begins with the legs, and then it has to start printing this hand in mid-air. So there's nothing to hold the hand up. And then what, it, what, the, what the software would do for you is below the hand, build up a little tower going up until it touches the fingers of the hand. And then it will print the hand from there onwards. When you break the support structure off later, it will look like it printed in mid-air magically. Oh, thanks. Oh, that's a much better example than what I dreamt up. <laughs> but uh, it led us on an interesting tangent. Of course. And uh, the community locally, I mean, like you said, you're very involved with Hack. The guys, they praise your work a lot. I know you've helped print a lot of stuff that they used in, in some of their insane experiments and, and inventions. But but other than them, how, how what's the community looking like? Are they like regular meetups happening is there like a 3d printing conference in the work somewhere paint the picture first well um uh, south africa is um there's a there's an organization called rapdasa and it's uh it's basically um a government organized or government funded organization that that basically looks after the interest of the 3d printing industry industry in south africa now, Rapdasa has a yearly conference. Last year, the conference was here at the CSIR. And this year, it will be at the uh, Val, um, Val University of Technology in Vereniging. Uh, and um, basically, all the, all the players get together. And then we have a nice, um, uh, nice lectures and, and um, new information. And we um, uh, share new findings. So it's, it's actually um, 
South Africa as uh, that's more that's more your your industry plays rather than your hacker plays. So if it's a government funded organization, is the the government seeing huge opportunity for us as a country by embracing and supporting three D printing? Well, I think initially it was basically um, um, kind of a, a following of suit. They they saw that all the other countries started investing heavily in three D printing. So initially they thought, well, let's do a me too. Um, but I think people are noticing and and realizing that three D printing is going to be a very strong um, sector in the future in terms of development, especially where um, and lot of lot of the um, the let's say the old school development jobs will be pulled into additive manufacturing as a group. So I, I think there, there is a lot of scope. Um, it is just uh, early days in South Africa yet, so um, there's a lot of lot of room for growth. Okay, but it's great that I think the, the government puts a bit of weight and support behind it. So I guess this, especially from a prototyping point of view, it can really help an entrepreneur who's got some idea for some physical product to be able to go to somebody who's got the facilities to like realize it and then you can take it to market to see if somebody's curious about it. Yes, no, it, it, it happened quite a couple of times. Um, uh, some of my some of my early clients uh, or customers actually uh, wanted me to print stuff and I quoted them too much because it would take too long and then they bought a machine because it worked out cheaper. Um, <laughs> but in the end, um, yes, it's 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 happening a lot at the university. Some of my um, some of my Morgan Pro users are actually advertising themselves on a website called 3D Hubs, and what they do is they you upload a design to 3D Hubs, and it will show you uh, or show you people around you that can print stuff for you. Of course, they then then charge uh, um, a little bit more for the work so that you can generate a bit of cash for yourself and and um, s support your hobby. But a lot of the students, the engineering students and the um, architectural students are now using these two guys to print a lot of their projects for them. So now they don't have to manually make these models anymore, but they basically design it on CAD, send it as an SDL, have the, have the guys print it for them, and then they can submit their projects. So it's, um, it's very helpful. Well, and that's almost perfect because it's your CAD drawing, so it'll be to scale. And the printer will manifest it beautifully. Yes, and of course, if you uh, did a bad CAD design, you'll find out soon. Where, where can people see the the printer in action? Um, well, we we had it at the at the Decorex show, and and we'll we'll um, have it at more public shows um, because the Decorex show. Um, <laughs> surprisingly, we thought it would be a really really quiet time for us a nice printing and, and just uh, sitting around and um, but we were swamped people never saw 3d printers before so we we just had we had 20 people at at a time wow. wanting to see the machines so it is it is south africa's ready for 3d printing uh, even not uh, well even if they don't want to buy just to see it just to learn about it so um, we are working on on a couple more shows we are going to durban for the MakerCon soon um that is all oh, right when is, is MakerCon? MakerCon is uh i think it's a weekend of the 22nd of october i'm not too sure but you can look at the MakerCon uh at, at the um at the makerspace durban's website 
Right. Um, yeah, there's there's some information on that. Um, and then, of course, uh, we're going to Rabdasa, and then um, we are always here on, on Tuesday nights uh, with the Hausfeag meeting. Um, Hausfeag is a kind of an open, open club, and on, on Tuesday nights we have uh, basically an open night for anyone that wants to come. Um, of course, the summertime, it's, it's becoming busier, so if you want to come, you have to come early. Um, it, it's about uh, 6 o'clock. We start here at, uh, at uh, number 4 Burger Avenue in Littleton. And uh, I'm here most Tuesdays because it's um, it is when I get to see my friends. <laughs> yeah, I would highly recommend people make the effort to go to Housefac. It's really great to be there and spend some time with everybody. It's quite eye-opening if all you do is software. Quentin, thank you so much for spending time with us so late on a Monday afternoon, uh, Monday evening. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> The day is just beginning, Kenneth. The day is yeah, just beginning. <laughs> happy Monday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and sharing your story, um, sharing your uh, your project, your baby, the putting the code out for it, being involved in the community, being accessible. So it, it's just a big all-round thank you for, for everything you're doing. Yeah, no problem. And then I think we should head off into some picks. Len, do you have some picks? Yeah, sure. Um, just been seeing a lot of stuff coming out of Walmart Labs. There's two projects that are super interesting. Uh, the one is called OneOps, hosted, self-hosted, which is a universal React node application platform. And this looks like the actual application platform that Walmart themselves use seems pretty battle-tested and looks really interesting. Thanks. Uh, I'll go next quickly. Um, first one is Art of Synergy. Uh, it's, a, for lack of a better word, a circus school in Kailami. We went there over the weekend to go check out the performance they had of all the uh, trainers doing all kinds of aerial performances. It's, it's quite fascinating and, and, and enjoyable. And they offer courses if that's the kind of fitness thing uh, that you want to do is like move around and do something a bit different. It's not a gym. And with Halloween coming up at the end of the month, and the show should be fairly close to that, at the River Sands Center, just north of Joburg, there's a, a Halloween picnic party thing happening that seems to be geared very family friendly. So if Halloween's your thing, I would highly recommend you go check that out. Hi, uh, I, I don't know if you guys can hear me, but it's been uh, very nice to uh, to chat to you guys. And uh, yeah, all the best with your podcast series. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks everyone for listening. Cheers. Show notes for this episode can be found on zadefchat.io. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at zadefchat or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to the ZA Dev Chat podcast, and we'll see you next time.